This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, turning 18 or 19, depending on where you are, can be really exciting. Young adults, though, seem to be itching at the chance to gamble more than go drink and party, especially young men. Keith White, Executive Director of the National Council on Problem Gambling, joins us for a really deep dive into the unregulated pretend gambling, practice gambling type of scenarios, the gaming gambling, and the online gambling industry as well. Handy Andy Barrar joins us. Got a sneaky mouse in his house again. He's trying to use his cameras, technology, and DIY stuff to track it down. Plus, he's got a story about how robots could clean your house. And are you okay with robots you can have a relationship with? Trying to put that gently. Long-distance relationships. And what about getting advice? It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. I've said this many times, and I will say it again, because I take this personally. I find it disappointing. Sports broadcasting is no longer sports broadcasting. It's now gambling broadcasting. And sports broadcasters, it breaks my heart. I don't know. I'm probably talking out of turn. They probably, maybe they care, maybe they don't care. But doing sales bits on odds and I don't even know these terms they use. Um, In the middle of games and this dynamic betting stuff that's happening in the middle of games and doing spread updates in the middle of games as sports broadcasters. Uh, maybe I'm naive. Maybe that is part of the game. Maybe it always has been part of the game and I'm I'm just missing the point. But I still stand by my opinion that uh, sports broadcasting, sports radio is not sports radio anymore. It's gambling radio. And that breaks my heart. Now, here's what I have in common with Keith. Um, problem gambling also breaks Keith's heart. Um, not to speak for you, Keith, but legit fair statement the um this this is what we're looking at here keith white is executive director of national council on problem gambling in the last year there has been a tsunami of advertising as um legalization has really unfolded uh here in canada in particular that's where our lens is anyway you've seen Mm -hmm. it not only here but elsewhere um uh how are things for you to kick off this 2023 in, in the world of gambling it has been fast moving. There's no question. Uh, I think one of the interesting things, Shane, is that between 2018 and 2021, we saw a 30% increase in risk for gambling problems in the United States. And uh, the vast majority of that risk is among young male online sports bettors. So, you know, to your point, uh, media, you know, radio, TV, internet has been saturated with gambling advertising around sports. But I think one of the things that's interesting and and, and cut it to your point earlier is that our three shirts also shows that only 30%, 25 to 30% of Americans bet sports monthly or more. So that means 75% of the public, 70% of your audience doesn't bet sports with any frequency at all. And so I think the majority of listeners are being pitched for a product that they don't use and they won't use. And I think that's where the seeds of the backlash may come. That's interesting um, to look at that. That volume, though, Keith, the um, the, the yeah. please gamble responsibly, uh, all that stuff, this nonstop volume of it. 
they can't to me the credibility or at least the integrity is gone when you say please play for fun please play responsibly when there if if that's the stat that's the figure you're talking about that 70 percent roughly don't care um and that small number is willing to fund it funds and finances sports right now and yet that small nugget of the society is able to fund all of the sports for everybody else play for fun obviously is not what's happening because that is a staggering number to uh, of dollars for them to be able to uh well lean on it financially well the interesting thing is i and we're no experts on the economics of sports betting but sports betting really doesn't generate all that much revenue the numbers are vast, but the but the, a lot of that revenue is returned, or, or a lot of the money that's spent is returned right back to the to the players themselves. Sportsbooks only hold between five to seven percent on average. So even though the volume is massive, the actual amount that that these these firms are making is not enormous. And on an investor call uh, recently, DraftKings CEO said they're rethinking most of their sponsorship deals. It's they're not making enough money. It's not lucrative enough for them to have these huge multi, multi-million dollar deals. So I think the economics of the market are going to be fascinating to determine. I don't know that gambling, gambling is going to have a, a prominent place in it going forward. I'm sure there, there is, there's so much money on the table, but I'm not sure that going forward, that money is going to be the way we see it being spent now. You know, there's a lot of acquisition being thrown around. None of the sports betting companies in the United States are actually making money. So they're all trying to outspend each other. And at some point, that, that bottom's going to fall out. So that is just to say, uh, even though gambling is not going to go away in terms of its, its intersection with sports, it may not be in the future as prominent as it is now because we're in this huge expansion phase. And it is, I think, by all accounts, unsustainable. I have no problem with gambling. I think gambling can be fun. I mean, is there anything better than a $2 KP on a golf round, right? Like, <laughs> I think that stuff's great. But the minute that you're worried and panicking uh, to watch the end of the game, then, yeah. um, you know, that's that literally is a thing. We have a new generation of high-risk folks coming up that mm -hmm. are um, willing to bet it all, if you will. We have a generation that's coming up that has been sold online, lifestyle versus life success. Um, and as my, uh, my dad's friend so eloquently put it, my kids have champagne dreams on a Pepsi income. And... <laughs> And, and understanding that, I mean, we, we've had other conversations and we're going to have more conversations here on The Shift about millennials in general and how there is such a resignation um, and passive aggressive approach to employment today. Because, mm -hmm. the, I mean, I, frankly, some of the employment standards they're taking a stand against are pretty awesome to take a stand against. But that being said, the way they go about it is different. There is a generational shift that is very much happening here. And this overflow of gambling it, it's so confusing it, it, you almost need a lawyer to understand all of the calculations and all of the you know play this and bet on that and back yourself up with that it's it's like watching yeah. shorts on the stock market man it's so confusing it is and it may be well that it's deliberately uh made confusing you know i think there, there's a line of argument that says um most of the sports betting right now is designed for very, very heavy professional sports bettors or you know, very heavy recreational gamblers, that the average customer uh, who just sort of wants to, to say, hey, I think the Flyers are going to win, or I think you know, a veteran's going to score this period, 
uh, they're not interested in these massively complicated parlays between different sports and odds boosts and things like that. I think that there's there, there's a number of people who sort of say that the market as designed now is designed for very heavy uh, bettors who are highly skilled and really, really, and, and it's not at all for re recreational bettors. They just want to put a flutter down, you know, the equivalent of your $2 uh, Nassau. And whether that's going to correct itself or not is is an open question. But, uh, you know, a lot of sports betting experts that we talk to, you know, on, on that market side say that, it, that the product is fundamentally um, poorly designed for the vast majority of recreational gamblers that these firms say they want to attract. I would say that they don't spend that much money putting billboards up at Formula One races. Um if they're not, if they haven't done the research, knowing full well that this complicated betting, and I don't mean to be sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, contrary to your to your point, but I have mm -hmm. find it hard to believe that they don't understand that complication works in their favor with yeah. young men. Oh yeah, I think I think you're right. I think some of that op op opacity is is deliberate. You know, some of it's built into it. Mm -hmm. um, and and we know from the responsible gambling side that um, having an accurate understanding of the odds and the risks and the rules of the game is critical to making an informed decision if you choose to gamble. You know, to be able to do so responsibly. And many of the modern gambling products and the amount of time with which you have to to calculate the odds or to make it make an informed choice uh, work completely against that. You know, so so instead of betting on Tuesday for the Sunday games uh, in football, you're now betting, uh, you know, every few seconds mm -hmm. on a new on a new parlay, on a new, you know, whether or not there's going to be a, a you know a penalty in the next five minutes, whether or not you know so and so is going to get you know, uh, and, and and it's it's individual performance, it's everything except the outcome of the game, and I would argue that most of those odds are impossible to calculate, uh, even if you had a whole day, but certainly not if you have. 30 seconds before right. the next pitch. Right. The Edmonton Oilers uh, have 17 shots this period. Uh, spend five yeah. bucks. Are they going to get to 20? Right. Yeah. Um, and and, and most, most gamblers have no idea whether or not that the, the price that's being offered on that bet is accurate. They, they they assume, we should all assume that there's a house edge, but on many of these bets, the house edge is as astronomical. And it, it takes it away from sports betting being a game of skill, which is which there is a lot of skill involved in some sports betting mm -hmm. to most of the modern sports betting nowadays is essentially like playing a slot machine or the lottery. It's, it's almost completely random outcomes and that, that have little, if any skill behind them, there's an illusion of skill. There's not actual skill in whether or not the Oilers are going to go more than 17 shots in a period. You know, you, you might be able to perhaps look at statistics, but there's no guarantee of that performance on, on the day. And so that's really just a random guess and that's okay if you believe that you're making a random guess and not if you believe that you've actually, that this is a game of skill, mm -hmm. you know, so, so it really changes the motivation or it should change the motivation to gamble when you're looking at these long odds for random events where you have no information to make an informed decision, but that's the way the modern sports betting market is going. And I think there's a great deal more risk there. There's a lot less appeal for a casual fan and there's a lot more risk for those who deceive themselves into thinking that they are really, really skilled sports bettors. This is the Shift Podcast. Keith White is the Executive Director, National Council on Problem Gambling down in the States, but he spends an awful lot of time overlooking on Canada too, so it's neat, especially because of sports. I mean, the NHL and 
all that stuff and basketball spills or baseball spills over between the two countries. So there's an awful lot in common when it comes to sports betting. So if you missed the earlier conversation with Keith, it is on the podcast. You can grab it all there, by the way. So we will continue. First, though, a couple of texts, 877-399-9898. This text comes in, says, my stepdad has a gambling problem. 40 years ago, he and my mom bought a house for $36,000. It's been paid off and remortgaged a few times now. He used to love horse racing, then cards. Now it's scratch tickets to the tune of $350 weekly. Which is fine if you can afford it. It's just when you can't afford it that that becomes a problem. I have no problem with gambling. I have a problem with the fact that the the sites that let you practice and play with gambling very quickly turn into or promote getting into real gambling. And nobody really knows if the you know the odds are the same and the odds change. I mean that's that's the catch here. Uh, hey Shane, regarding um, gambling broadcasting up to four months ago, I used to listen to a California radio station after the shift was done. They changed their format to guess what? A sports gambling format. I'm so sad. Um, I do not even enjoy sports nor gambling. Uh, the amount of people that enjoy sports and follow it closely is not even a huge number anyway. So, 877-399-9898, if sports gambling or gambling of any sort is in your life, what does that look like? I'd like to hear your story. We will continue my conversation with Keith White about gambling, sports betting in particular, the apps and all the bits and pieces that seems to have so many people um, getting involved, in particular young men like my son and his friends that are about to turn 18. The conversation continues. This is The Shift with Shane Hewitt. Keith White is uh, the executive director of the National Council of Problem Gambling. And um, now it's down in the States, but the, the reality is, is that this is this sort of flows over. I mean, because of sports betting in Canada and the States is, you know, the commercials are, they're all there. So mm. um, the the question you said about sort of hedging against the house and, and the, the benefit of the house and all that stuff, are there any rules that you're aware of around the sample sites and the practice sites because you know you have your dot your dot net is the one they can right. advertise but the dot com they can't advertise because they can't down in the states advertise for by the way you can bet here but you can go play for free at no risk at the dot net but then by the way the dot com looks exactly the same and it's for real dollars and i ask that because of my next question which i'll hang on to that Sure. Is that if you want to practice your sports betting in Canada, you can go on to some of these sports sites and you can use pretend money and see how you do. Are there any rules that the odds are exactly the same in the real money site as they are in the pretend site that you can practice on? Absolutely not. And in fact, there's been research that has found some of these practice or, you know, .org sites actually have inflated payout odds and rates. Uh, so the International Center for Gambling Problems at McGill University, uh, sorry, the International Center for Youth Gambling Problems at McGill University actually looked at some of these practice sites a few years ago and found that most of them had unrealistic or in some cases, vastly inflated odds. So it's an, there, there is, so just to be clear, Shane, there's no regulation of these sites. It's almost as if they've created this, this wormhole, this separate universe uh, that we call the analog universe arguably not legally gambling. If they say, well, because we're only using practice money, it's not gambling, then no regulation applies according to the argument of the proprietors of these sites. And we believe that in some cases, it's really a deceptive bait and switch. 
you know, in, in some cases you may have this inflated sense of winning, um, you know, that the site may have goosed its odds. And then if the operator tries to switch you over to the .com to the pay for play site, then uh, you may experience all sorts of losses. And then you may start chasing uh, you know, your, 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 your money, because you believe, well, you know, on, on this other, this, the same site, right? Yeah, I did it already. Psychology tells yeah. you, you've already did, done it. It's going to happen again. Yeah. And that's, and that's such a common, you know, heuristic, if you will, of gambling that, um, you know, that if you won before you win again, especially if you perceive that sports betting is a game of skill, as we talked about, you're, you're likely to bet more money and bet and, and keep chasing that money because you, you think the odds are in your favor. You know, the iron law of gambling is that the house always wins over time. You will lose all the money you spend gambling. Mm -hmm. There is no, no question about that. Well, the only but way you win at gambling is if you quit gambling, right? Yeah, that's right. In the short term, you can win a little bit, but the yeah. longer you play, the more likely you are to get back to zero. So yeah, so so those those sites are are a concern, especially because operators are, are held to no uh, no standard, no legal standard. You have no recourse if the uh, pay for pay, play for pay site uh, or pay for free site, sorry, is uh, has different odds or different right. rules than the, the pay for play. So what I take from that though is that it, so hockey for us, at least for me in Canada, is probably the biggest one. Um, and so at the beginning of the season in October, they could actually inflate odds in the cash site as a loss leader in favor of bringing people in and all of a sudden everybody's winning and you got it right. Way to go champ. You're smart. And then all of a sudden by December, those same odds have changed and now they're making all their money back. They can do that. Well, so the regulated sites, probably not if, if the regulators watching, but the unregulated sites, you know, sites that if it's not a gambling site, it arguably does not fall into the purview of the gambling commission, even if it's operated by the same, the same group. Mm -hmm. So yes. And, and as I say in the past, some of these, what we call social casino sites uh, have uh, been found to have dramatically increased the payout odds on the free to play games. Well, the, the pay to play games on the on the other side of their site are, uh, of course, set at, at very, very high uh, rates and and people rapidly lost uh, you know, all their all their real money. So here's the question. And this is eye opening to me. My son turned 18 last week. He was more excited to get on a gambling site to make his hockey bets because he had been practicing than he was to go to the bar with his buddies. 18 is legal drinking age here in Alberta. Yeah. yeah. So he was. Are you excited to go to the bar? Not really. What are you most excited about? Billy and I can get on the betting sites tonight. Mm -hmm. Is we that a trend that, it's, that you're it's a, seeing? Yeah, it's a rite of passage. Uh, and quite frankly, a lot of what we see are these um, arguably not legal gambling sites, these prediction sites, daily fantasy, even sites that where they're not, if they're not regulated as a gambling site, they can, they can do almost anything. That's where a lot of these kids start. And then once they turn 18 or 21, depending on the on the state or province, um, they're, 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 they're so excited to be welcomed as a full-fledged member you know, of the site. So I spoke uh, last night, Shane, to a, a room of uh, 50 17-year-olds, and I asked them how many of them knew their friends were sports betting now, and how many of them, how many of their friends had sports betting apps on their phone? every single one of those 17 year olds raised their hands and whether or not they had, whether or not it was a unregulated site that would, that would take their sports bets, whether they're playing with real money or play money, whether they had lied about their age and got through to, to a site, whether that site was regulated in the United States or not. I don't know because you have, you know, there's five or six different ways kids 
might be able to bet sports now. Um, but it, it helps, I would say, groom them towards experiencing just what your son did. They, they've had a taste of it, but it's, it's been kind of on the side or it's been for free money or something like that. But once they, once they become of the legal age, then they're so excited to make that transition and to, you know, be, be welcome, not just a member of this community, but, and not just as an adult, but as a peer amongst some of the best sports bettors in the world, you know, to have these, all these professional athletes, uh, you know, be part of this experience. I mean, it's, it's an incredible, in some ways, an incredible coming of age opportunity. In other ways, it's terrifying because there is so much more risk uh, for these young, for these youngsters getting, you know, swimming in this pool with, with a lot of sharks. Well, there's two different ways to go about it, right? You're either a student of the game or you're a fan of the game. And a lot of fans of the game like to think they're students, but they're actually not. They're just fans. And I just wish they were given the space to be fans. But I want to call this out though, Keith, because PlayStation does the exact same thing. You know what happened on my son's birthday? The emails come in from the video games yeah. saying, you're legal now. You are allowed mm -hmm. to upgrade to get all of the adult features of your PlayStation. So it's not only gambling sites that are capitalizing yeah. on this notion either. Yeah. And there's a massive um, uh, intersectionality between video gaming and gaming addiction, gambling and gambling addiction. And it all starts to take place online. And so we, the, the crossover is, is particularly cute. We see gambling uh, slot machine designers moving into the gaming space and using the monetization techniques that they developed with gambling over in the gaming side. And we see it vice versa. We see successful gaming designers who've learned how to monetize these games moving over to the gambling side and using those tools as well. And so there, there is, uh, again, a lot of risk out there um because there, there rarely is something for nothing and in most cases whether it's a free play site or whether it's a paid site um you know the everything about that site is designed is designed to drive you to monetize and continue to monetize and even if it's a microtransaction, um many of these sites make a tremendous amount of money off of a very small percentage of their players mm -hmm. who will spend a tremendous amount of money and time chasing uh, ultimately, you know, a, a chimera, the, the, an illusion yeah. of success and skill and being number one on the leaderboard. See earlier comment about lifestyle versus, right? <laughs> yes. You know, the absolutely. funny thing about this, Keith, that always gets me when we chat, I'm a filthy capitalist. I really <laughs> right, am. Yeah. I, I absolutely am. I love it. I go out there and go make your money and, and live the system and, and give back to your community and do all those things. I just am not okay with it being sneaky. Right. And that is and certainly within the going up within the American context, uh, Shane, you know, we, we we're, the, uh, our society is, is structured similarly, you know, you know, go out and build a better mousetrap. But I, I do think you have to let people know you're in the business of catching mice. Yeah. You know, and, the, and that you need to put some safety rails around that. And kind of unfettered capitalism has never had the kind of information technology that these companies do today. Because I think one of the things I think about a lot is that inf information asymmetry. I think about the gambling markets, the the, the betting firm that's that's giving you this proposition on the Oilers and seventeen uh, you know shots in this period. They may have a historical database, you know, an artificial intelligence assisted engine that is going to create a bet that has a massive house advantage. But to you, the consumer, sounds like a great deal, mm -hmm. and you as as a as a gambler. Uh, 
may have you, you may not even just be a, you may be a new hockey fan you may have no idea what you know whether that would it's an exceptional amount or not much less the Oilers' past performance or who's on the ice in this particular period and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that information asymmetry we see a lot between the better and the betting site. But also it 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 you know it, it's it's within the the gambler uh th themselves because the, the amount of technology that's available to these firms is ever increasing. They also have your social graph. They know about your payment history. They know the types of bets that you bet. And they can then serve to you almost personalized gambling in a way, Shane, that, that it's 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 a addictive product, but it's never been personalized. You know, I've never had a, a, a vodka company serve to me, hey, Keith, here's a brand of vodka that's specifically designed to cater to exactly right. the taste that you have. Yeah, I'm, that oh, is by the way, Diet Coke is also on sale at this store right now, like that personalized, sure. right, for your mix. That personalized. And, and here and here's a coupon off. And here's a you know rebate if you go buy it right now. That's literally what's happening every day in the gambling space. And if it's not, if if the personalization of gambling hasn't, it's already started, but soon it will be hyper-targeted to you personally. And and I think that that's that's a very scary intersection of yes, capitalism. It's great that they've built a much better mousetrap, but wow, is there danger uh, with it within that? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost designing an offer that you literally can't refuse. Yeah, and tempting, man. Oh man. Okay. Well, Keith joins us here. Keith White is uh, he's an expert in all these things, as you heard. He just chatted about stand literally standing in front of a group of young people to have this conversation just the other day. So, executive director, National Council of Problem Gambling, as a parent. As a grandparent, as an aunt, or as an uncle, we just need to pay attention. we uh, It's private on their devices, too. It's not like the old days where you used to have to go to the corner store and hit your little checkbox on your scanny tool, right? Like So it is hard <laughs> to, to do this, but I, I offer this as a parent, and if you have a better solution, I'm all ears, please, because I could use the help, is even though your kids are 18 and 19 or 21 or whatever it is, that they want their own credit cards or those kinds of things, mm seriously consider finding a way to help them fund it so you can see the statement. I think that's an important part as a parent to do that, not out of spying or anything weird, just out of being able to help them navigate what this looks like. Uh, my son wants a credit card too. And yeah. um, I'm not quite sure that I'm prepared to do that. I might get, I might get him a, one of mine on my account, yeah. cap that card yeah. and do it that way. And technology can be used to our advantage. So, you know, my son, uh, 17, he has a credit card, but uh, it's the, the statement. We, we can block certain transactions. Right. We can block alcohol transactions and things. And um, it's uh, my wife gets a real time alert on her phone every time he buys something. So Amazing. we can see exactly what he's doing. But yeah, no, you're right. Um, and for, for gamblers, money is the substance they abuse. So so having having access to um, those funds is the is, you know, one way. Of, um, of of control of making sure that you're 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 controlling gambling. And the second thing, Shane, is obviously, and I'm sure you talk about this a lot. It's having the conversation. It's the reasons that shows like this are so important. You know, you because you can remind parents uh, to have that conversation about gambling because you might be surprised at how much uh, gambling advertising your kid is exposed to. Uh, my son shows me all the time on his phone ads he receives for the lottery, ads he receives for sports betting, right. ads he receives for social gambling companies, uh, gaming companies. Uh, it's it's incredibly um, open marketplace out there, yeah. and uh, folks should be aware. 
What about ego? You said that money is the substance they abuse. Um, we are all insecure. You're insecure. I'm secure. We all deal with our own stuff every day. When we wake up in the morning, we look in the morning and we go, okay, Shane, you can do it. Today's the day, right? Like, don't follow that dark road. We, we go through that. That's a human experience. I just acknowledge it. The um, But yes. that ego, that vanity piece, especially with the young generation that lives on Instagram or on Snap or whatever, um, they have this magic ability to just accept each other for who they are and joke about it. Like, it's incredible. I wish I had that skill. But at the same time, though, um, this insecurity about being right and being smart and fitting in also seems to be an underlying thing. It does make me wonder. You've seen the research. I haven't. But it does make me wonder that if possible, the substance they abuse is, is ego. There's, there's a big connection. Uh, you know, anxiety is a big driver of gambling problems. But on the flip side, uh, there's this whole subculture of people who, you know, post their bets on Twitter, you know, the, the winning bet slip. And there's even, and we see this in the video gaming space, there are people that post their fails, you know, that they, you know, oh, I lost or had a bad beat. And it shows them, you know, I, again, my, my son shows me videos of people destroying their TV set because they, uh, you know, didn't do well in a video gaming tournament or destroying their TV set because they just lost a sports bet. And, and this, this is a generation that, that is open to sharing that, but we have to think about what's, what's driving that. Is it that, is it that need for attention and affection and, or is it, is there actually something serious that's driving this behavior? Because destroying your TV set over a failed video game or a failed bet is not the appropriate response. Right. Right. So, and then on the other side, we see uh, one of the best, one of the most, sorry, effective, <laughs> one of the most effective monetization techniques in the social gaming space is a leaderboard. So, you know, if, if you've just uh, won a, theoretical, you know, slot jackpot with virtual money for a billion dollars. Right. They, but that drives so much consumer spend. It's incredible because people want to be seen as number one in the United States or number one in North America or number one in the world right. at this particular game, this particular time. See, and that's funny because what I teach in my communications when I coach inside uh, business and executives is mm -hmm. it's the opposite. It's the same thing. They dance. It's like up and down, left and right. So it is the same thing, but it's the opposite because being on the leaderboard is one thing, falling off the leaderboard and not being on the leaderboard is the true driver, right? So um, that, you know, being on the leaderboard is great. Those people, their ego is getting served. It's the not being on the leaderboard um, in language that we find that exact same piece, right? That yeah. that's the actual driver. It's like the up and down. Like you can't know... I'm too hot today, unless you've been too cold once, right? Yeah. Yep. And or it's Wordle. You scary. know, Wordle will tell you, oh, you haven't played today. You know, oh, you've got your streak going. You yeah. know, oh, seven streaks days on in a snap. Row. Boy, oh, boy, you want to talk yeah. about something that is, and literally, um, uh, that conversation yeah. about streaks on Snap is that, you know, oh, so-and-so opened my Snap, but we've got a streak of 1,200 days and they're going to wreck it now because, I mean, their dog yeah. might have just died, damn it. You don't even know. Like, come on. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's wild. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. it is. So, you know, I think I think modern marketers have more tools than ever to get into us in a, in a, in a sort of personalized way. And I think kids are right. This generation of kids is is really being experimented upon. And, you know, I don't, I don't think there's enough awareness about some of the possible negative impacts. There can be some positive impacts too. You could tune some of these apps, some of these, you know, streaks to, to model good behavior, but not a lot of us are thinking about it. And I don't have any answers. I don't know how to do that, right. but I'm sure that uh, there's no commercial imperative to do so, but uh, there might be an ethical imperative to, to, to think about that before it gets too late, maybe for this generation. We can also start with red receipts, read receipts on, um, on text messages. That'd be a great one too.
Um, <laughs> but you can see, I, the point of Reese bringing all these things up is you can see how deeply woven it is. And that's why it's scary to me. Um, this is a generation that is being groomed for it. And I'm all for putting 20 bucks down on your favorite team or is, uh, you know, Alex Ovechkin going to you know, become the greatest scorer of all time and pass Wayne Gretzky and was he going to do it by this day or whatever? Like, I'm all for that mm -hmm. stuff. But um, this is a gambling society. It's in the ec fundamental economics of of everything, including the stock market. And, um, I, you know, you can go as far as to say is even in the stock market, the stock market was designed, Sorbanes-Oxley and everything else that was done 20 years ago um, was all designed in a world that didn't have the internet. And, yeah. um, and the fact that one person with 5 million followers can say, buy stocks from Coca-Cola, uh, can manipulate the stocks of that business um, of the day today. And that's it. it. It was never designed for a world where people could have that kind of reach. And, and here it is. And, and we are not doing what it takes to protect, I think, the humanity of it um, and make responsible money. Because from what you're saying, statistically, they're not even making good money off yeah. of it to return to even like even if you wanted to say, well, you know, enough dead soldiers in society. Right. And uh, they, there you go. But we made a profit. Nope, they're not even doing that. So we've seen it in marijuana too. this oversaturation in Canada of businesses and a lot of buying and selling that started to happen. I would imagine we're going to see that coming up next. No, I think you're right. And I, and I think your comparison to the stock market is apt. You know, we see it almost on, on not almost we see it on a continuum, you know, from poker playing. And in the middle, there's there's you know futures and options trading. And then there's sort of your traditional buy and hold investors. And in fact, when we look at uh, in our national surveys, we ask, have you traded um, you know, in the past year, in the past month, in the past week, people who trade weekly or more, and these days that's almost all app-based, people who trade weekly or more, 98% of them also gamble online weekly oh, or more. And so there, and, and I think at that point, if you're trading every day, it may well be because you want the excitement of it. It's not because of a fundamental and it's not it's not about the money even. It's because you're in action and you like to be in action. And, and, and you get that same high every time you win and sometimes every time you lose, every time the market moves, every time your stocks go up or down, uh, that's exactly like flipping over that card, whether you, whether you won or busted on, on a hand of blackjack. Mm -hmm. And we, we, see, we see traders, investors uh, who develop serious gambling problems. Uh, even though they have never touched, they've never touched a casino. Uh, it's purely psychologically, you can get the exact same highs from frequent retail trading on an app as you would get from frequent sports betting on the, on the app. Yeah. If you look at the user, the, the user interface, the user experience, it's almost exactly the same. Wow. Robin hood is almost identical to a sports betting app. Yeah. And I see, and this is where I get upset because in the government in here in Canada, they've said that they're investigating T you guys don't think you have TFSAs. We have a tax-free savings account. So you're allowed an allotment every year. Once you have the account, you get X dollars. I think it's $5,000 a year that you're able to put um, in that account and have it grow without paying taxes on it. It's an incentive, but you can trade inside that. And so there's been articles written saying, by the way, if you're day trading inside your tax-free savings account, the government's going to be watching for that, right? And okay. but here's the thing: the government says don't don't trade inside your tax-free savings account. But by the way, they're profiting on all the taxes of all the gambling and everything else where the behavior's been groomed, right? You could say the same thing about uh, taxing cigarettes or alcohol, and then by the way, um, complaining that the health systems can't handle it uh, here in Canada. So the hypocrisy's yeah. there. It's all over the place. It's literally 
uh, it's so thick. And this is why I let you do your job, not me, because I would I would lose <laughs> well, my mind. No, but it's the same time. Yeah, we're, we're we're not we're not prohibitionists either. And like you said, you know, I think there there's a place for 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 a market. We just know that the market is generally not efficient, and it is driven much more by emotion and passion than it is by reason. And and again, even that's okay. You just that just means you need some some better some guardrails around it. Uh, or you're, you're at risk for you know doing severe damage not just to yourself but to your family and to your community and to your business and da da da. Um, I think that's that's the and that's the hard part to try and design systems that work well for responsible people that also have this that have the good guardrails in for people that are that are not responsible. And you know, at the end of the day, our our responsible gambling model is informed player choice. You know the primary. And the majority of the responsibility falls on the individual to make good decisions, to protect themselves, to inform themselves. Uh, but there is also a role for government and, and a role for, you know, safeguards and, and, and regulations. Um, but, you know, getting that balance right, making that harmony is is incredibly difficult. I don't know if it's impossible, but it's it's an ongoing conversation. I agree with uh, I agree with it's our responsibility. Absolutely. Um, yeah. but at the same time, predatory behavior, it's a very fine line and, and, um, and some of these situations start to appear that way. Uh, thanks for being here, Keith. I really appreciate it. Executive director, national council on problem gambling. Um, it's always great to chat with you, man. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. I really appreciate it. This is the shift podcast. Media.com. If you want to follow along, he posts his videos up at shiftheads.ca. You can follow his YouTube channel as well. Uh, Handy Andy Barrar is here, and he, he spent the whole evening chasing mice, according to your Twitter. Yes, that's pretty much the whole day has been uh, on a mouse hunt. Now, as you remember, Shane, back in November, I had a mouse problem. Um, I had a loaf of bread, and there was a hole in the bread, and I was like, what's mm -hmm. going on? So being a tech guy... I used an uh, indoor security camera. Back then, it was the Amazon camera. It's a company that they bought called Blink, and it's their indoor security camera. I got one of those cameras, set it up, found where the mouse was coming in from. It was underneath my cabinets, coming through underneath my dishwasher. So I pulled that out, and where the electrical cord was coming in from the wall, that hole was too big. And that's how that mouse was getting into my house. So I made this whole video of it. I, I, I solved that problem. I put um, steel wool inside that hole and then used insulating expanding foam to fill it all up. And the mouse was gone and everything was great, Shane, until about last week. Uh, I noticed I saw some mouse droppings again on my hmm. kitchen countertop. So again, last night, I didn't have that camera anymore. So I used my outdoor security cameras, these wireless outdoor cameras company called Arlo. I took one of those cameras inside because it needed to get charged anyways, the batteries. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to charge it and I'm going to try to see if a mouse is in my house. Woke up this morning, Shane, all these push notifications from the camera. So I made sure I got my cup of coffee, had a couple of sips, watched the footage. And sure enough, there was a mouse back in my house. And I pretty much had to wipe everything off my schedule because now I got to find this mouse. And I made the video. You can people can watch it if you go 
to handyandymedia.com or shiftheads.ca, uh, you'll be able to see this mouse because it comes right up to the camera. It starts smelling the camera and everything. So mm. if you ever see a house mouse up close, you can see it now, handyandymedia.com. Charging rent for that or like your Airbnb you got there? You are a good landlord that way. I just, you know, it's 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 one of those things where I was like patting myself on the back. I'm like, yeah, you know, I had a problem. I solved it. But no, the problem, this mouse, it's like, I feel like I'm in a Tom and Jerry episode right now where I'm Tom mm. and the mouse is Jerry. And we're just going back and forth trying to, me trying to catch it. So yeah. this is what I You're did. You're not winning, took, are you? <laughs> well, Shane, I took it to the next level. I took off all of my outdoor security cameras that that are on every side of my property and they're all in my kitchen. So I got a sting operation to find this mouse. I think I know where it's coming in. It's coming in from the bulkhead that's above my kitchen cabinets. There was a little hole. There was a gap there. And so what I did is I put steel wool in that gap and I ran out of steel wool and I needed one more piece chain. So I went into full MacGyver mode. I'm like, what can I use? that's like steel wool that I probably have in my house. And it was like a SOS pad. I'm like, it's a steel wool with soap on it. So I put the SOS pad up there and that's how I discovered where the hole was because as you know, those SOS pad have that blue powder on it. And yep. on my countertop, there was blue powder. And I'm like, oh, that mouse probably pushed its way through the SOS pad. And I made a new video. So if people go on my Twitter, they can see it. I actually found the hole. So now I got the sting operation for tonight, Shane. I'm going to find, if I find footage of this mouse coming up through that bulkhead, it's on tomorrow. I'm ripping the bulkhead off. I got my shop back wow. already. I got the Holy. expanding foam ready. I got the gloves ready. It's on tomorrow. This this is round two of man versus mouse. <laughs> ding, ding. We got to get in on it. Okay, text message says just get a bread box, <laughs> which is a good idea. Well, you know what? I've been putting the bread in my cabinet where I, I keep my plates. So I keep it off the countertop because I don't want to sacrifice another loaf of bread because once it eats it, I don't want to touch it anymore. You know? No, I don't blame you. I don't think you probably yeah. should. That's probably those ones where you don't, you don't, uh, you don't do that. Also, another text came in says, Tip for Andy, add coffee grounds into your planting holds for your blueberries next year. Yes. Yes. I already talked to the blueberry farmer. I let mm -hmm. him know that I'm in the market for some blueberry bushes. He's like, I got some. I've been already looking um, on behalf of you. So, so God, this are you spring, trading more weed for blueberries this year or what? Uh, I don't have any. So I don't know. I'm going to have to maybe barter my services. I'll be like, do you have any mice? Because I can find them for you. This is, <laughs> yeah. I'm a mouse hunter now. This is what oh I my do God. on my side, my side hustle. Andy Barrar, Mouse Whisperer. Okay, um, handyandymedia.com to follow along. Since we're talking about cleaning up your kitchen, let's go into this domestic chores conversation. Um, I sort of like this idea. I feel like it's a little bit like the Jetsons. Yeah, so um, they did some research and they asked a bunch of artificial AI experts to predict you know, where we're going with, with robots for the home. Can it actually help with chores and whatnot? And what they've said is within a decade, about 39% of the time that we spend on housework so this is the kind of work that you don't get paid for, but you have to do just in a typical house, keeping your house like neat and tidy and, and whatnot. They said 39% of that time can be you know, done by robots in the future. However, most of it, what they're predicting is going to be doing like things like grocery automation rather than taking care of young children and the elderly, because those types of tasks you're still going to need a human being to do. But, you know, 
that everyone's trying to 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 make robots in the home to make our lives easier and it's it's coming slowly you know with like those robot vacuums when they first came out Shane they weren't very good but now that they have those base stations where after it's done vacuuming it will go to the base station and it can suck it up now they're making ones that are a robot vacuum and mop so a two in one device they're getting better and and they really think that that's where we're headed to in terms of home automation and robots for the home but it's not going to be like the jetsons anytime soon that's that's the one problem like make your just little things you know make your bed fold your clothes That'd be nice. You know what I, I want? I mean, the grocery automation's one thing, but I mean, how's it really? I mean, it's going to tell when something's empty, but it can't really tell when something's gone bad because if we're trusting the best before date, it's going to have a bunch of stuff in well, there that we don't need. Well, here's what they're doing. And I've seen this at, uh, in Las Vegas at the uh, Consumer Electronics Show. They're creating these high-tech fridges. And what they're looking to do in the future is after you go grocery shopping, you scan your receipt to the fridge. The fridge will actually has a camera and it scans your receipt. So it knows all the food that's gone into your fridge and what day that you bought it. Then, based upon that, it's going to start analyzing and realize, hey, that lettuce that you bought is, is going to get old soon. So on the front panel of that fridge, it will start giving you recommendations based upon the food that you still have inside your fridge and give you recipes of how you can cook that various foods. So I think that's where they're trying to do it. If they take it to the next step, your fridge will connect to your grocery store and then automatically once you're say you know out of milk or you're out of eggs it will make that order for you because those are the kind of things that you don't really think of like oh should i buy eggs again most of the times yeah you're going to buy eggs you're going to buy bread you're going to buy milk so i think that's where it can be automated and i think that's where the ai experts see that happening making the biggest difference in our homes is automating tax that like no one's going to stop buying toilet paper. You know, why don't you have like a toilet roll that's smart that can analyze how many rolls have been going through so that it knows that to make that order again, I think that's where it's headed. And I can tell you, Amazon's probably already thinking of this, of this stuff to put inside our homes. Well, I think that there's one big piece missing. I think you're right, by the way, but I, I think the biggest piece missing that if you scan your receipt, when I hear you talk about this, if you scan your receipt and it just, over the course of a year, it monitors how often you buy romaine lettuce, how often you buy milk. It monitors how much you consume through the course of the year. What I would want to see my fridge do is I want my fridge to connect to like the Flip app or something like that. And I want it to tell me if you go get groceries today, then um, you can save this much money if you go to this store or if you go to this store. I want it to run all those analytics for me and say, if you go to this grocery store, you can get these items. It'll save you this much money today. So the sale ends on, on this day. But here's where you're getting low on these items based on consumption. I don't think it can tell me if my romaine is bad or not. But I think that from that perspective, if it knows that I go through a bag of spinach every three weeks, then it'll know that your typical usage three weeks on sale at blah, right? And then to me, that would be way more helpful to do all of the budgeting for me and just tell me where to go get all the food. And then it can even print out a list of what to get, right? Or they can you can pay to have someone else pick it, but then it's costing you money to do that. I think that that's far more intuitive to save everybody money to do all of the comparison shopping for us. Because if you really wanted to see um, grocery stores and inflation on food and all these things that everyone talks about, you want to see grocery stores compete. If it was automated and they knew yeah. that you were, your fridge was reaching out, 
then uh, they, you, boy, oh boy, they would want that business because they would be like, oh, Andy's fridge is looking for this, 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 and this. We don't compete on hot dogs and we don't compete on bread. So we're going to give Andy a discount. So he comes in and buys the other things. That would be competition would be awesome. Yeah, because if you look at it right now, the points cards that you get from all these different grocery stores, that's basically what they're doing. They're looking at your habits, your spending habits. That's why they always want to know your postal code and, and they figure that out. But you're right. If we take this, da- this data from our fridge, from our grocery store receipts, and they can understand that, absolutely. Let it, let it put it out to the open market and let the grocery companies compete based on that. I think, and like you said, the Flip app, that if people aren't familiar with that, that's an app that shows you kind of online coupons. And, and that's really, if, yeah, and flyers. Um, that's that's kind of how it used to be in the olden days, but you have to cut them out. Now they're all digital. So you can find those deals on that. And I think that's a great idea, Shane. You're definitely onto something with an idea like that. All right. But in terms of automation, but in terms of automation, like we already see this happening with our heating bills where they're trying to understand when we're at home, when we go to sleep and try to optimize the temperature. So you you, you see those kinds of things happening. Um, but, you know, a robot to make eggs in the morning, I just don't see, you know, I hope before I die, we have a robot like that. But um, yeah, it doesn't look like that's going to be coming in the next five, 10 years. You know, it's kind of like self-driving cars. We, we're getting there, but it's just not made for our roads. And the same thing goes with our homes. They're not ready for these robots. Interesting stuff. Okay, there's more to come here. HandyAndyMedia.com. A couple of text messages come in and some suggestions for you and your mouse problem. Uh, number one, find out how they're getting into your house will help you. Yep. Uh, number two, that bread's probably five bucks a loaf. Number three, yep. are you sure it's $6. only one mouse? Six dollars a loaf. Uh, Ron says sticky traps will also work for you. Charlie says, use ear piercing sound. Mice hate that. Yep. And then earlier before you got on, we did this big thing about betting apps and the impact on young people. Yes. And um, someone did text in that says, not to encourage betting, but this would be, be a good one to bet on. <laughs> Andy or the mouse? <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to win? This is the Shift Podcast. Well, I don't want to use this out of context in the wrong place, Ryan, but I think we got to start this. Are you okay with, with this? Are you okay with long distance relationships? Well, it's not ideal, is it? (laughs) Well, I'm actually not okay with them. Uh, Right. I think Ryan and I would both agree. We're not okay with them. No, we're not. We're both in one. And you know it's funny because uh, uh, we don't, it is we're, we're each in our no, own. We're, yes, we are. We are in two separate. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I no, just don't want anyone to get the wrong just, idea. Yeah, just to clear, um, uh-huh. we also live in the same place anyway. So not the same no, house. We don't live in the same, the same place. Same <laughs> <laughs> I'm digging a hole deeper. Uh, okay, uh, back on track here. Uh, yeah, we're both in separate long distance relationships that I think we would agree are both going pretty well. You know, we get to see our partners semi-regularly i've got a great routine with mine like we have some fun digital dates and it you know it's going well and we've been doing it for like six seven months now and even though it's all going really well and i get to see them in like a week and a half it still sucks it's still so not ideal it's hard 
Yeah. It's so hard, right? It's all the little things. And, and then you, um, you know, you need to have conversations, but then you just can't have conversations at the end of the day. Uh, you know, and you run into these things where it's, you know, if we were a normal couple, we probably would have talked about this before bed four nights ago, but now it's kind of been sitting there and it stews a little bit and you, mm. you know, it maybe builds up and a little frustration and angst kind of comes in. So it's hard, but you can't just, you know, instantly always be in each other's face and you try to send some photos and say hey look what i found thought you'd like this or whatever but it's difficult you can't always explain things and we just went through this where uh i had ordered mel a gift online um in just to offer a gift and her perspective on that because we were far apart um was you know we do have an agreement to not spend a bunch of money right now we've been working hard on our finances and making sure that we're both trying to get really really clear on our finances and, um, you know, so the first perspective is, you know, why did you spend money? And that's a very fair perspective. But if we were together, a normal couple, we probably would have been able to have the conversation and say, hey, by the way, got a discount, got a deal, thought you'd loved it, sacrificed a few other things in my month this month in order to have the money, you know, just normal conversation things, long distance relationship. Mm -hmm. You can't always do that. And that's what makes those are the things that actually make it hard where those little bits and pieces, I would say. It's the little things you would never expect to have such a massive change on your relationship. It's the tiniest things. And uh, that, that those add up after a while, which is why, you know, I went on Reddit. I'll never forget, you know, I, looking for some advice. This is my first time trying this out long distance. And I saw a bunch of things. It's like, do your best to make it work. If you really want anything to be fixed, though, you're going to have to make a visit. And yeah, I can't go more oh. than three or four months without a visit. Can't do there, it. Well, there is a point where you do have to literally go full stop. All right, it's time to be, it's time to do whatever it takes to, to get in the conversation. So without yeah. a doubt. Now, the hardest part about not being able to express uh, all of it is, of course, there, you know, if you've ever read Five Love Languages, it's a fantastic book. If you have not read it, I absolutely recommend you read it. It might not be a, a philosophy that you subscribe to after reading it, but it will make you very aware at least that we communicate differently than each other. And we also tend to give in our comfort zone, meaning if you're the kind of person that likes to spend time together, you will give time to your partner. If your partner is the kind of person that likes touch, they're more likely to give touch. They don't necessarily need your time. They just want your touch. That's what that book is about. I recommend that you read it, by the way. Now that's the catch here, right? Sometimes and some people, you're not able to express your love in that physical way. Well, there's a solution now. Don't worry. Ryan's already ordered one. A tech company from China has created a gadget just for you. It's a kissing device. It's uh, equipped with pressure sensors and actuators. The device is said to be able to mimic a real kiss by replicating the pressure, movement, and temperature of a user's lips. It's like a rubber robot face. As you might imagine, so Ew. I mean, just look at that. Just what is that? Ew. So this device, okay, made by a Chinese tech firm, is meant to simulate giving your partner a kiss. It is meant for both people to use at the same time so that sensors in one device transmit to the other one. It reportedly replicates movement, heat, and also sounds, oh. really. And in case you're looking for love, everybody, the company is also creating a dating app linked to the device. So you can get like a two Wait, for one. So you can get like a two does, for one. Oh, okay. So the dating app also works. How about this? Just so you could like kiss on no. the first swipe. No. You can, instead of the first date, you can kiss on the first swipe. Just move in the same area together. This is, I don't know about this. Now, um, 
Uh, do we have? Can we post a picture? A picture or something at, at shifthead.ca? Oh, right? oh, we're gonna have to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, if it's on the front page of CNN, you know, you should. That's um a very flustered it. Fox 11, by the way. It's advertised as for long distance relationships. The uh, device also allows users to pair up anonymously with strangers on the kissing square function of the app. So if two strangers match successfully and they like each other, they can exchange kisses and they don't even have to see each other. They can just kind of give it a go if they will. Now, I, safe sex, I suppose. So yeah. users can also upload their kisses in the app for others to download an experience so you can um, you can go and you can basically give it your best work. Like, you go, champ, and you you do that, and then it'll record your style, your technique. Oh, don't give away that secret technique that you have. Um, and then other people can sample it and, and decide. You know, Ryan, it's possible this could improve for all the people that are terrible kissers out there. This could give them some practice. Yeah, you know what? It could be a practice. It better than making out with your pillow. You know, better than that. I'd say this is a step up, although it is expensive. Uh -huh. um, Strange. That's where you go, but okay. Well, that's like all the Jono. Like, so, come on, like all the cartoons that we watched when we were younger. There's always the scene where the character is going to make out with a pillow. It's like I you don't know, know. I'm pretty sure that's in Fairly Odd Parents at least once. I think John's um, staying quiet for a reason. I think he wants to acknowledge <laughs> this notion. <laughs> I did not make out with my pillow. Okay. Anyway, the practice no, is perfect. You know, swing, no. <laughs> swing of the monkey. I am not a swinger. I should clarify. I had a stuffed animal <laughs> named Swinger, and I didn't realize what the name meant until I was very older, very much yeah. older. Um, yeah. What were mm -hmm. we talking? About? Oh yeah, right. Um, Kissing robots. Thing, the, here's the thing. This is really interesting because it has, I would say, merit. It, it's an interesting idea, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's deeply weird because I would say that kissing is one of the most intimate and human things that we do. And the fact that you would sort of do it into a device that then sends it through the Internet to someone else almost takes away the intimacy of it and makes it just like transactional. And that, that's the part that creeps me out about it the most. It's not the rubber face that creeps you out. That like it's, I mean, the transactional yeah, I part. I get too. it, but I guess, um, I guess look at yeah. Obviously, it looks really bizarre. And pe watching people like there's a demo video on the on the website. It's so it's so weird. It looks like something out of an episode of Black Mirror. Actually, uh -huh. this is like dystopian nightmare fuel. Now I am going to post. Ryan's going to post a picture uh, of this little video piece on there, and I'm going to post a video from Big Bang Theory where Raj and Howie have a kissing machine, and they did that on the show. So this is not a new thing. It's probably been stolen from the show idea, or it's been around for a bit. But then they kiss each other through this robot, um, and it's incredibly awkward. Uh, super fun to watch too. But really, if you're looking at now, this text comes in. Is there tongue involved, and do you need cleaning wipes? I'm going to suggest cleaning wipes. Probably a thing. I don't know if the tongue moves or not. Yeah, but I the um, I don't know about the tongue. I don't think so. But I I'm going to state the obvious that everybody's thinking right now is sex robots. Is that mm -hmm. if you can have, I mean, safe sex, right? It also stops people from going out in the world and meeting people, which would be problematic. But and you ever, you ever find it's weird when you walk into someone's house and you're like, this is your house where it's all the time. And I've been, you know, you're looking for a place or I'm looking for a place. I always find it weird going into someone's bedroom. I'm like, oh, this, there's the workbench. Like, I, like, uh, I, yeah, I have oh, a, yeah, for right? sure. It, I find cro that weird. it crosses the mind. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, um, 
like what's happened in here, right? Like, it, but when it's when there's no bed in there, it doesn't cross your mind. But when it's somebody, I don't know. Anyway, um, if there was a sex robot though, safe sex, and you could basically have sex with anybody in the world, not even know them and and whatever, but you don't have to like it's you don't have to see them or exchange anything that would you know maybe cause people to that promiscuous. Shane's making it weird, uh, you know, like catch anything. Um, maybe it's not so terrible. I, I don't know. Maybe it's not such a bad idea to be able to. Um, I don't know. I don't like the idea. No, I don't I think people not. should think get out of their idea. houses and unplug from the internet terrible. and go talk to each other and learn some social skills and not make it weird like I'm making it weird now. Yeah. Uh, how much does it cost, Ryan? I believe it's about 50 bucks Canadian for uh. one. Yeah. Yeah. Which is much cheaper um, than a flight to Ottawa. I will say it's much cheaper. <laughs> that's your go-to. <laughs> that's where we got to go to see our partners. So go to Ottawa, buy a sex robot face to kiss. Mm-hmm. Go to Ottawa, buy, a, I don't know. You know what I really want to know in this story, Ryan? I'm not sure I want to know, but sure. What do you want to know? <laughs> I want to be the guy who works in the warranty department. Oh. <laughs> to hear all the, those, those, the yeah, fake stories about how it broke. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you get the, like, I'm sure there's somebody that's going to go, like, upload a profile that's just terrible oh, and, like, it breaks down. And, oh, like, what kind of silicone are they using? Does it? you know the materials are they safe like oof, yeah, yeah. Just anyway uh better ways to go about this let's um yeah meet people actually be a human being that's yes. probably the place um that we should go here are you okay with getting advice interesting yeah it's a good question uh... um i very much think I don't necessarily want, I think that people need to ask for advice. I think that experience and sharing is incredibly important. Your opinion doesn't matter. Yeah. We, yeah, seriously. We often confuse I, I think, giving advice and giving your opinion. With it, Yeah, very much so. I, I think it's really cool when you get to the point where you can ask someone, hey, I need your advice on this. That's cool. Yeah, what That's would you a great, do here? Uh, yeah. And you know, what should I do? And that can take a lot of kind of stress off your shoulder, regardless of what the situation is. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, uh, sort of my advice is the best advice because I know this sort of, uh, going around everywhere, not just on the internet. And yeah, I think it's just cause it's too easy for us to share our opinions as we speak to thousands of people over the radio with uh, nobody talking back. So, uh, you know, mm. it's, uh, you yeah. know, we gotta check That's it. Good point. Well, so I would like to take those two notions of your opinion, right? Writing this down as we do this so I can mm-hmm. see it. Okay, so advice is when somebody asks someone else for direction, right? Uh, hey, Ryan, can I get your advice on this situation? Meaning I need you to tell me about which direction um, you you would recommend. consult is not necessarily about one thing. Like if I say, can I get your consult on this situation? It's probably 
a little bit more wide, right? Like looking at all of the good and the bad and what's best for you and what do you want here and everything else, right? Advice would be, you know, topic specific. Consult would be sort of observational. And then there's opinion. And this is where people often confuse advice with their opinion. Can I get your advice on that? Well, I think you should do this. Hmm. Well, that's not advice, right? That's shooting all over somebody and we shouldn't shoot on people. So I think that that's where we all get confused on that. So now experience, wisdom, consult, that's different. And elders are so important to get wisdom consult, right? And maybe not even advice from because of the fact that they'd lived in a different generation, right? When they raised their kids, it was totally different than when you're raising your kids. But their wisdom and consult is important. See the distinction? Two people from Savannah, Georgia have set up a shop and local farmer's market to do exactly that. Give advice. Sounds like something from Peanuts. But they're not elders. They're just two old farts. Seriously, that's what they call themselves, two old farts. These old farts, better known as Kevin and Raz, have spent the past couple weekends right here. Gracing Savannah with our wisdom. And it would appear they have plenty of wisdom to go around. Always go to class and sit up front. The words of wisdom are uh, do what you love and love what you do. If you can avoid it, don't step in it. Then you can say, I told you so. So what inspired them to take their advice public? Well, we ran, I ran out of golf balls. <laughs> so I got nothing else. Well, that, and perhaps to remind us. That it's okay to make fun of yourself. And it's okay to, it's okay to connect with people. Well, we love you guys. You're awesome. All right. Thank you. So while their advice may vary in success. If they're out shopping by themselves. They're either one, hungry, or two, they have some money. They are honest. And if you have a question that we don't know an answer to, we'll just make stuff up. And honestly, right now, we could all use a laugh. That's true. <laughs> we just want, want people to come out, have a good time, enjoy themselves, have a good laugh at our expense. There's enough clashing of the minds around it. This is a chance to say, hey, you're a jerk, I'm a jerk. So let's, now that we've got that settled, how you doing today? That's pretty cool. WTOC, by the way. Kevin and Raz are snowbirds from Chicago, so they won't be handing out any more advice until next winter. But they do plan on taking their show on the road. We'll see what we can do about trying to get some of their wisdom on the shift. Shall we, Ryan? What do you think? Oh, uh, yeah. I want to be called a jerk by that guy. You know, it just feels Absolutely. like it would be very endearing. Yeah. They're trying to pull off a little Statler and Waldorf, I think. Safe to say from Muppets. Um, oh, big time. Yeah. I was like, I don't know who that is. And then I went, oh, I know who that is. Ho, ho, right. ho. Those guys. Yeah. That wasn't half bad. No, it was all bad. Oh, oh, oh. You know, stuff like yeah. that. So that's fun. I think that's totally cool. I think that's a super fun way to do it. Um, let's do one more quickly here because we have to. Are you okay with Breaking Bad? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. I didn't so think it was good. the. Yeah. I didn't think it was like super, super amazing, but it was a very good show. Um, serious, depressing, angry, dark, awesome at the same time, though. Now, the producers of the show have been releasing some blooper reels, including this one of Jesse and Walter pondering their next big move, by the way. I don't know, Mr. Why do you think that this will really work? I can't say that right. This will really work. Try it. This will really work. This will really work. I can't say it. I can't do it. I don't know, Mr. Why do you think that this will I'm anticipating it not working. It's gonna work. I don't know. 
I don't know. Do you think that this will work, man? <laughs> I don't want to be out here anymore. I don't want to be out here. Now, they have such amazing chemistry, and they had a new commercial during the Super Bowl, too, by the way. Um, now you have a chance to have an iconic piece of Breaking Bad history. There are a few scenes, one iconic one at the beginning of the show when they are cooking meth in their motorhome, uh, where Walter White leaves the, the motorhome in his underwear, tidy whities that aren't very tight and aren't very white either, for that matter. The pair of cotton briefs that Walter White, played by Brian Cranston, wears in the desert while cooking crystal meth is listed for sale on a prop store auction and it closed. So it's been sold. Here's the description. This is a set decoration closet pair of White's underwear, cotton polyester brief, size 40 inches, features a white elastic band with blue goldenrod details, though the elasticity is largely lost, reads the listing. They estimated somebody would pay $5,000 for the underwear from the show. What was the winning bid, Rye? Oh, somewhere in the range of about uh, $32,500. For underwear? Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. The show has a no, massive cult following. No, I don't. $30,000, maybe a little yeah. much, but I would have thought twenty grand. Yeah, I would hang this on my wall. It's an iconic piece of television. It's a great Absolutely. buy. Absolutely. <laughs> picture frame, you know, like a hockey jersey picture frame mounted on your by a pool table in your pub, mm -hmm. in your basement, in your man cave. You know, it's there perfect. we go. Walter White's Gitch. Gitch or Gaunch? Uh, gaunch. Yeah, Gaunch. Really? really? Yeah. I think so. Oh. Gitch or Gaunch? Me underwears. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.